0: This is Equipping Eve, the podcast that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth from God's Word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ begins by being grounded in His Word. So let's open our Bibles, ladies, and prepare to feast on the truth God has given us hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve. I'm your host, Erin Benziger. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, It's starting to get a little chilly here in uh, the Northern Hemisphere and in the Midwest, where I reside. And so uh, if you'd like, go brew yourself a cup of tea, some hot chocolate, some coffee, whatever. Go get something warm and grab your Bible while you're at it so that we can dive right in. And if you remember, if you've been listening, uh, we've done a couple of episodes on um, how God uses women and just looking at some women in Scripture. And um, this is uh, kind of an interesting series for me. So I'm kind of going through Scripture and um, picking out some instances, some of them well known, others perhaps overlooked, of women in Scripture. And uh, that's not because I'm a feminist and that's not because I'm an egalitarian because I am neither of those. It's because God uses women and God uses women as more than just um, casserole makers and baby makers. And um, it's important for us to see that and it's important for us to recognize that. And it's important for us to examine all of scripture. What I love about the Bible is that you can read it and read it and read it from the time that you're saved until the time that you die, and it never gets old. Even if you've read that text a zillion times, God will still use it to form and shape you to look more and more like his son, right? I mean, you know this. If you've been saved for any length of time, you know that this is true. And one of the ways that he does that, I think, is, at least for me, I can read through a text. you know, I've read through the Bible a few times in my life, cover to cover with my Bible plans. but some things stand out to me more than others at different times in my life. and that's just the way God does that. That's why His word is living and active, okay? And so something that stuck out to me when I was reading through Second Samuel, was uh, a few unknown women who were mentioned here in chapter 17. And uh, so open your Bibles, ladies, to 2 Samuel 17. If you remember, uh, it wasn't too long ago that we talked about Abigail. And so we're kind of staying in these historical books. Um, One of these weeks, I would love to take a closer look at Hannah. So she's one of the better-known women in scripture, and um, so that's something that I hope you'll look forward to. I'm looking forward to uh, digging into that a little bit more. But for now, we're going to open to 2 Samuel chapter 17. And just as a little background, ladies, since we're just kind of jumping into the middle of this story, if you remember um, Absalom, David's son, he's basically at this point gone and turned the city against his father. So he's been sitting at the city gate and helping judge um, disputes and basically turning the people's hearts toward him as Cain rather than his father David. And as a result, David flees Jerusalem at this point. And then Absalom goes in and he sets up camp, um, kind of literally on the roof. <laughs> and um, I'll let you read that in chapter 16, right before where we are here. And, um, and David is uh, kind of on the run here from his own son. And so here we are, chapter 17, it says, Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the cane and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Then Absalom said, call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Then Hushai said to Absalom, and I'm probably mispronouncing these names, but just roll with it. This time, the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Hushai said, You know that your father and his men are mighty men, and that they are enraged, like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, There has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant man whose heart is like the heart of a lion will utterly melt with fear for all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and that those who are with him are valiant men. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba as the sand by the sea for multitude and that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground and of him and all the men with him not one will be left. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we shall drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel, for the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. And I love how the author there gives us that little bit of background. And if you go back into the previous chapters and you see um, where that's laid out, that the Lord will frustrate the counsel of Ahithophel in order for David to prevail in this situation. And you're wondering, okay, where's the women you're talking about? Verse 15. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, Thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so have I counseled. Now therefore, now Hushai was like, A spy there he's on David's side now therefore send quickly and tell David do not stay tonight at the fords of the wilderness but by all means pass over lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up now Jonathan and Ahimez were waiting at Enrogel a female servant was to go and tell them and they were to go and tell King David for they were not to be seen entering the city But a young man saw them and told Absalom. So both of them went away quickly and came to the house of a man at Baharim, who had a well in his courtyard, and they went down into it. And the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, and nothing was known of it. When Absalom's servant came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, They have gone over the brook of water. And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. After they had gone, the men came up out of the well and went and told King David. They said to David, Arise and go quickly over the water, for thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose and all the people who were with him and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. Okay, so did you catch the quick cameo appearances there? We have a an unnamed servant girl and we have this... Woman of Baharim. So verse seventeen, a female servant. This was her job to go and tell Jonathan and Ahimaz so that they could go give a message to King David. This this seems to be like what was happening. This was like the process. This was this was what plan they had come up with to get messages to King David. She's mentioned very briefly, she's in one verse. I get that. You cannot make a sermon out of this. You cannot um, read more into the story than is there. That's not my intent. I just think it's really interesting that they're using a woman to deliver such an important message. Now, yes, here in this particular instance, the men were spotted, and so then they were followed. Okay, that's not necessarily the woman's fault. Why were they using this, this unnamed servant girl? Why were they using her? Well, it wouldn't have been um, it wouldn't have been unusual for a servant girl to go to the well or something during the day, so it was it would have been kind of unassuming. It would have been very natural, and so you wouldn't suspect that some servant girl would be carrying an important message for King David. That's kind of a big deal when I look at it. like they trusted this woman with such an important message. That's kind of cool. I don't know. I think that's pretty cool, and it's brave of her to be doing this. And then we move on. Okay, so the men are spotted, and they go to the house of a man at Baharim who had a well in his courtyard. And they go down into the well, and the woman, presumably the man's wife, took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, and nothing was known of it. When Absalom's servant servants came to the woman they said, well, where are Ahimez and Jonathan? She's like, well, they've they've gone, they went that way. And she throws them off the scent, right? And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. Now, where were they seeking? Did they search her house? Did they search her and her husband's farm? Or you know, what exactly does when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem? What does that mean? We don't know, it doesn't actually matter. Um, But the point is, this woman was used to throw them off the scent. I think that's kind of interesting. Don't you? I do. And then we have this woman, the wife of the the man at Baharim, and she takes the action to cover the well so that High and Jonathan will not be discovered. She takes the initiative to say to the men who are seeking them the Absalom's men they went that way go they're over there she takes that initiative we don't see anything about the man here at all you know maybe he was off somewhere you know farming or whatever I don't know it's not in the text doesn't matter but here she again demonstrating courage and bravery out of loyalty to her king who is God's chosen king and so I think that's all really interesting. Again, not in an attempt to read more into it than we need to, but just as a means of recognizing small roles where God is using women in his plan and in the unfolding of his story and his plan and purposes. And in fact, that the woman hiding the well for some reason, that reminds me of Rahab, hiding the spies, right, on the roof and, and covering them and it's it's just an interesting similarity there and i don't think you can draw a sermon illustration from it but it's just that's what that makes me think of and so what's the point what's the point of these you know dwelling on these two women well we only dwelt for a few minutes so i don't think we've wasted too much time again god uses women God uses unnamed women, unknown women, and he uses unnamed and unknown men. God uses all of his children. I mean, I have to wonder, what would this story have looked like without those women playing those roles? What if uh, the woman of Baharim had not taken the initiative to cover the well and to say, oh, they went that way? What if? Would have been a different outcome, wouldn't it have? Now, um, we could step back and say, oh, but she lied. She should have said they're here in the well because she needs to be honest. Same with rehab. She shouldn't have lied. Okay. Doesn't mean that lying is okay, but this is the means by which God's plan unfolded. So, you know, we could, I suppose, take this little message and twist it and say, see, all women are liars, Um, but that would be wrong. Um, So we're not gonna do that, no matter how much certain people might want us to. Um, What I see in this story and in these verses, I see faithful women eager to serve the cause of Christ, eager to serve the cause of their king, who is God's chosen Cain, who's a forerunner of the Cain, Jesus Christ. Maybe their methods weren't ideal, or at least that second woman's methods. But as I said, it's how God ordained to use them. And we see their cleverness, and we see their bravery, and we see their courage. And we can be encouraged by that because we see how it played out, and we see how God used it. And I say, well done, ladies. Even in our small roles, even in roles that we feel are insignificant, God is using us. As I said before, he uses all of his children. And that's our parting thought today. If you are feeling insignificant in God's kingdom, ladies, you know, maybe you think, well, I don't do enough in my church or um, my children are not, you know, Christian scholars yet and they're already nine years old. Um, It's okay. Okay. Just be faithful to what God has called you to, whether that is a job, um, you know, a career in the working world, whether that is being a mother, whether that is being a caregiver for your parents, whether that is being an aunt, whether that is being a sister, a friend, serving in your church, and many of us hold multiple of these roles. Your role is not insignificant. And um, that's not to you know shake the pom-poms and say, oh, you're amazing, you're so awesome, God can't live without you, but he's using you. He's using you where he's placed you, and pray for him to show you how he's using you and what other ways you can be used. And that was a really long parting thought, but that's the way it goes sometimes. <laughs> as an endorsement today, ladies, um, or an Equipping Eve encouragement. No, this one's an endorsement for sure. So it's October, which means it's Apple Pie Month because November is Pumpkin Pie Month. So October is Apple Pie Month. Uh, I'm gonna let you in on a little family secret. The best apples to use for apple pie are Jonathan Apples. Not Jonathan, Gold, Jonathan. So if you can find Jonathan Apples, and by the time this airs, it's probably gonna to be too late to buy any, but write it down for next year. Jonathan Apples make the best apple pie. Do not let anyone give you an apple pie made with like Golden Delicious or something. I don't even know what that's about. And if that's your recipe, I hate to break it to you, you're wrong. And so, Jonathan Apples, that's my little family secret. Don't get too crazy with it. But can you ever get too crazy with apple pie? I don't think you can. All right, ladies, until next time, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening.